Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. All right, guys, welcome back to the Agent Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Caffarella. At Agent Investor, we promote agents investing in real estate. And it really all started, you know, for me when I was an agent and I was on what they call the real estate roller coaster with my income going up and down and up and down. And it wasn't until I started investing in real estate that I got off the real estate roller coaster. Since then, I've bought and sold over 1,500 homes. I own an over 300 unit rental property portfolio. I've raised over $20 million in capital. But most importantly, what real estate investing has done for me is allowed me to get off that real estate roller coaster, become financially independent. And now I focus on helping agents do the same. And we've got a great guest on the show today, Dale Archdeacon, who's really way more than just an agent. I mean, you know, whatever you want to call him, he's got a mega team produced over 650 transactions in the last year, is a real estate investor, and has built his business on prospecting. And for those of you who have listened to the Agent Investor Podcast or come to my event, we all know that one of the most important pillars of investing in real estate is finding great deals. We always talk about the fact that you, in order to find great deals, you have to either spend time or money. And so when we talk about spending money, we talk about doing things like mailers and pay-per-click and Facebook and radio and TV. Most real estate agents who start investing don't have the monthly budget in order to find great deals by spending money. So then we talk about we've got to spend time. And one of the best ways that we can spend time is prospecting. Dale built his entire business on prospecting, doing a ton of prospecting himself in the very early stages. Then he ended up building out an ISA team. And he's also trained and teach many, many agents on how to prospect. This is going to be a great episode for people that want to listen in on how you can find deals through prospecting, how you can build a seller-based business. And Dale, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I always like to start with, you know, your origin story. Like what got you interested in real estate? What got you interested in investing? Like, what was the spark in the beginning of your career? You know, I'm not exactly sure. I've just always really liked architecture, not from a design it standpoint, but I just like the idea of buildings and homes and owning it and owning something, owning, you know, land, owning buildings. And, you know, when it occurred to me that you could buy a structure and people would rent it from you and you can make money on it, I was like, holy shit, that's a great idea. I just need <laughs> yep. get a whole bunch of it, right? Yeah. Um, and then I was telling you in the green room that, uh, you know, my wife and I, I was terrified to buy our first home. We were like in our early 20s. And my wife was like, I'm not throwing money away on rent anymore. And so I grudgingly went along with her. She really made it happen. We bought our first home. And then that's when I got the bug. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so easy. I'm like, now I, I think I'm I'm going to, I had this genius idea. I was going to buy an apartment building and it was going to, I was going to make a ton of money. It was going to be fantastic. Uh, so I went on Craigslist and I found this absolute pig that somebody had put some lipstick on and I didn't know anything and I thought it was amazing and it was affordable. So I immediately 
you know, I, I went out, looked at it. It was in a bad part of town. Uh, it was probably like a, you know, a, a D class property. Um, and they, I brought in a couple of friends, this real estate investor who knew more than I did. And this guy, Andy, who was a contractor and had tons of experience. And they were uh, both like, don't buy this thing. Just walk mm -hmm. away from it. Like, this is a, this is a nightmare. It's a money pit. And I said, thank you for your expert advice, but I'm going to buy it anyway, because I'm just so desperate to get my first deal. Yep. So I bought it and really it was like a comedy of errors. If you, I don't know how old you are. If you've ever seen that movie, the money pit yep. uh, with uh, Tom Hanks, it was like yep. that. Yeah, it was like that. So like I'm in the basement, like cutting up an old oil tank with my own sawzall covered in oil and like shoving a futon mattress into a a sinkhole that opened up around the the water main out of the, you know, by the sidewalk, like lots of stories around that kind of stuff. So I eventually sold that property, got out from under it. And fortunately, that was a great move. Then I went on to wholesaling, did some flips. And now I just buy and hold when I find a good deal. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, we always talk about the fact that you've got to get really good mentors, especially, I mean, I think even in sales or in investing, but you want to find really good mentors. But, you know, sometimes we don't talk enough about listening to your mentors. <laughs> Actually taking their advice and listening to what they say in spite of what you emotionally want to do. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I feel like, especially with investing, people kind of fall into two camps. And I've been doing this for so long. And camp number one is like, I want to take action. I'm so, like you said, desperate to take action, even though there was really no reason that you had to do it that fast. Obviously, clearly you're an action taker. So you were like, I need to move forward. And then there's the other camp of people who it's like you have to push and push and push and push. And they, they, they're they scared or they don't want to take a step forward. They're not ready yet. And there's definitely, especially in the beginning, a little bit of a happy medium there. And I think that's what, if you have really good mentors who are looking out for you, that's one of the big values there is, is somebody saying, don't buy that deal. And, um, you know, I always talk about that, like when, we have a mentorship program uh, called the Inner Circle. And I always talk about the fact that it's not just about making money. It's about not losing money and not losing time. I'm happy to say that I have not lost money investing in real estate. <laughs> I've broken even, which is a little bit heartbreaking. But, you know, I've done everything that I possibly could not to lose money. So I'm happy to happy to be able to report that. And And that's the crazy thing about real estate investing is that, you know, Again, doing this for so long, talking to so many different people that have invested in a lot of different ways. I definitely know some people who have lost money on deals. I don't want to say I haven't. But having said that, there's a lot that kind of goes at your back, like the wings at your back with real estate investing, so much so that like a lot of times you can still make a mistake and come out in a good position, especially if you're able to kind of hold something over the long haul. You know what? Just to tell this story for, for the listeners, the first flip I ever did, and for those of you who've been around long enough, I did my first flip. I closed on a, a wholesale deal that I was going to flip in, I think it was around November of 2008. Mm -hmm. um, and we all know what happened around that time. The entire, yeah. the, the universe collapsed at that moment. So I ended up actually having to move into that property for about a year and a half. I, in order to not lose money on it once I renovated it, um, I had to fire the first contractor that was on the job and had to get it fin finished up by somebody else. And that always costs you more money. And uh, so, yeah, I uh, to 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 avoid losing money, 
uh, I just did what I had to do. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's the beauty though, I think of investing is that there are multiple different options when it comes to flipping or buying and holding. And not that you probably wanted to move into that property, but that's always a potential option. Or if you were thinking about flipping a property, it's always a potential option to keep it as a rental and hold it until, you know, values go up long enough. And there's just so many different strategies. So I want to tackle, you know, the the prospecting part of what you do, sure. because that's, that's what you're known for. Um, you know, I see you always, you know, out there, you know, in different, you know, Facebook groups talking about it and, you know, building out your ISA team and all that good stuff. And we talk so much about, you know, agents that are looking for deals, needing sometimes to prospect. What got you to to start thinking that prospecting was going to be helpful? Was it, you know, your brokerage? Was it a coach? Who said, hey, by picking up the phone, you might be able to build your business? And and what made you actually decide to do it? You know, I did mortgages for maybe two years prior to going into selling real estate. And when I first got into that, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any relationships. And at the time, I really wasn't much of a relationship kind of person. And so I think I bought some kind of training on like MP3s or something. And I was listening to them. And there was this guy just talking about prospecting and picking up the phone and having conversations and how to get into it and that sort of stuff, like what my company does now. Um, and uh, at the time, there was the where at the time in mortgage land, uh, you could be refinancing people out of really high interest rate, like second mortgages or even just primary loans that were sort of predatory lending. And so I, I heard that technique. Uh, bought a training course on how to do it. And I just started doing it and calling people. And I, you know, it, it sucks to call strangers and it sucks mm -hmm. to be rejected by people, generally speaking. Yes. However, for me personally, I'm the kind of person that would rather get rejected by like a thousand strangers than be rejected by one person I know. Um, yeah. I find that people are generally in one of the, uh, one or the other camp, right? It's like, I'll call the strangers, but not the people I know, or I'll call the people I know, but not the strangers. So, you know, I, I don't know how to emotion, how to bridge that emotional gap for people that don't like calling strangers or, or are more afraid of calling strangers. But either way, you know, back when I was doing mortgages, when I got into selling real estate, I just had to, I had to do it to keep the lights on. I have found in my life, there is no motivator, like financial pressure that works pretty good for me. Yeah. No, I mean, I, you know, I never thought about it the way that you just said it, but I, de I personally definitely fall into the camp of, I would, I would have no issue calling a thousand strangers, but if you tell me, hey, call somebody that you went to high school with that you haven't talked to in two years, I would do it if I had to, but that, like you're saying, the and ask them for business, right? And ask, ask them for ask them for business, like that's just like right in the heart. I don't know how to do that. Yeah, me either. I mean, again, I would do it if I had to, for sure. But I would, I would rather hit, hit strangers all day long. And I think the good thing, especially with real estate investing and trying to find really good deals, is that you probably don't have as good of a probability of getting really good deals by calling the people that you know, for the most right. part. Right. Those, are, those are probably going to be more like retail-ish type of deals in general. So if you fall into the camp of you know, being okay, contacting people you don't know, that's probably the better route anyways. But yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, though. I don't think there's a right answer or a wrong answer. So I guess for somebody like you, 
who's built, you know, such a successful team and has a team of ISAs, what do you, what do you do with somebody who's on your team that only wants to call, you know, friends and family? Do you just go with the strategy of like, you know, letting them do that? Or like, what would you say to that? So at the end of the day, if, if you're running a sales team and you have salespeople that can make sales, however they make sales, whether that's throwing barbecues and going to bat mitzvahs, or whether that's picking up the phone and dialing a thousand strangers, I don't care how the business gets done as long as they're closing business. So you really just have a minimum production standard for an agent in order to be on your team, enjoy the resources, have your leads or not have your leads. Some of the best salespeople that I know are primarily referral and repeat and sphere of influence agents. And they would not, they don't want any internet leads, portal leads, unless the portal lead wants to go see something today. And that's totally fine as long as they're making sales happen. If you're investing in leads, if you're doing marketing, if you have that spend, you just have to find those salespeople that are hungry and oriented in the way that they will work those strangers and work them well and set the appointments. So usually what happens is if you have a team that you can't accommodate for both type of sales person, then you just don't have a management style that's robust enough to accommodate for it, Mm. right? You just need to improve your sales team. Yeah, absolutely. So in those beginning days, when you were doing all the calls yourself and you were out there prospecting, how did you mentally get yourself prepared to do it every day? And then what were some of like the goals that you had on a weekly basis, whether it be a number of appointments, a number of calls? Etc. The way that I got myself to do it, it is way, way easier to get yourself to do something if it's a habit, if you've already established it as a habit. But there are still those days where you just don't feel like doing it. I gave myself a couple of uh, criteria. I I generally prospected Monday through Friday, and sometimes I would also prospect on Saturdays so that I could get to people. And generally, I would do a minimum of two hours per day, and I had a goal of hitting 20 contacts per day. So Mm -hmm. I was shooting for 20 contacts, two hours. If I hit my 20 contacts, I would end sometimes. Sometimes I'd be on a roll and I would keep going, but I just did that every day. And I, you know, however I got myself to do it, I just showed up and I did it. And I think that I I gave myself permission to do it poorly or not feel like doing it or, Mm -hmm. you know, not, um, do those stupid affirmations where you look in the mirror and tell yourself that you're going to crush the world today, stuff like that. This is spoken like a true Northeasterner. <laughs> right. All yeah. you know, like all it's so funny because obviously, like I'm in Boston, you're in Philly, same type of people. And I would say the majority of the country like believes in that stuff and believes in, you know, an affirmation or just a- anything that's like typical sales stuff but then you go into the northeast and it's like nobody here will do that and they don't believe it in it it's just it's just so funny how the mentality is so different yeah i'm i'm pretty i'm pretty raw uh, and i i tend to be i'm an optimist but i definitely have a good pessimistic side to me right i'm always looking for what's wrong which makes us great training uh, coaches and salespeople. if it works for you great do that but i'm just like you know what as long as i'm here and as long as I'm making these contacts, I'm winning. So if I do it with a scowl or I do it reluctantly, then let's do that. But I don't have to pretend to like this shit. I'm going to do it anyway. Well, I, I like the fact that you, I think a key takeaway from what you just said is you gave yourself permission to do it poorly. 
not to get too philosophical, but generally speaking, any of us can do anything we want to do. Right? Yes. We have it in the power. We have we have it within our power to do and achieve anything that we want to. The only thing that prevents that is either our desire or or our perception, uh, right? Of whatever that is, or what it will take, or what it means about us, or doesn't mean about it. Whatever. You get what I'm saying, though. And so, ninety percent of the game is like between your ears. And so, when you're working with salespeople, if they have the desire, because sometimes you know, they just don't have enough desire to, to shift their perspective or overcome them mm. or change it for themselves. And, you know, in the reality of managing salespeople, managing teams, some people aren't cut out for sales. You know, some people are meant to, or are best uh, at some other activity other than going out and hunting things down and killing them and dragging them back home. So one thing I always talk about, like, yeah, I just had a two-day event and um but I I always say like with investing or or really with anything if you're not like an 8 9 or 10 out of 10 serious about it like I would try to find another avenue and that goes back to your comment on the desire piece because sales and prospecting and all that stuff it's not something that's going to come to you so the desire has to be really high because the uncomfortableness of actually doing what you're doing every day is going to be high so yeah. if you're only like three out of 10 serious about doing it, it's not going to happen because it's going to be too uncomfortable if you're only moderately, you know, serious about it. So I, I think that's always, you know, where I try to start out is trying to assess where are you on a scale of one to 10? Because if you're you're too low, then like you said, you may, and this is not like, it's not a negative thing to say that people shouldn't be in sales. I, I think it's a good thing because you want to figure out where you're going to best fit. And when we're talking about, you know, prospecting for deals, if you're not going to do it or the desire is not high enough or you just won't for whatever reason, that's good because now we're crossing it off the list. You won't do that. Now we have to figure out another solution. What I find a lot, and I think it's frustrating, uh, not just for me, but for people is like they have this idea in their head that they're going to prospect someday. And that lasts for a long time. Like I've I've talked to people that are their plan is to prospect, and that plan has been going on for three years, but they still haven't prospected yet. I, have you ever seen that? Oh yeah, of course. I have some of those things in my own life. Uh, of course, I have, I have some things that uh, I've had the intentions of doing for years and haven't done them. Yeah, and 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 you know, I think it's just a matter of like making a decision because if you don't make that decision, it like that you're not going to do it, then you've got that idea in your head and maybe it never comes to fruition. But yeah, having, I think, that, I think an a level of, a, you know, when age and experience come in. So now I, as I go along in my life, right, I just turned 46. I can, I can admit there are things I need to let go. I, I, yeah. I can be clear and be like, I'm never going to do that. And just be honest with myself. And then there are other things where, you know, it's constantly a work in progress. I mean, listen, I'm just going to be honest. I don't want to call my own damn leads, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we have leads. I don't want to call the leads. But, you know, I, I once I get over the inertia and get the ball rolling, there's this amazing thing that you forget about when you haven't been prospecting for a while or you haven't been having conversations. And what happens is you end up focusing on the forest rather than the trees, right? So your no leads, doubt. yeah, your leads just look like this monolithic concept of rejection and pain <laughs> and difficulty, right? Yeah. And uncomfortableness. 
But well, then I you finally get yourself to do it and you start having good conversations with like real people, you know, who who need your help or want something or need to get somewhere and you represent what can help them. Now, it doesn't always happen in the first conversation, but if you do it over enough conversations, you start talking to individual trees and you're like, holy shit, this is not as hard as I thought. Hey everyone, this is Tom Caffarella. I want to quickly interrupt the podcast to number one, thank all of my loyal listeners of the Asian Investor Podcast and tell you guys really quickly about an exciting event we have coming up. Uh, it's a two-day event. It's called the Passive Income Real Estate Investor Event um, that you can find out more details at PassiveIncomeEvent.com. We're going to be doing a two-day training session teaching all of the agents and all of the investors at the event on how to achieve financial freedom through real estate. If you're like me and your goal is to not work 80, 100 hours a week grinding, selling real estate, flipping homes, um, definitely check out this event. We're going to teach you how to build a passive income portfolio so that you can retire, so that you can work when you want, how you want, and ultimately achieve financial freedom. So again, go to PassiveIncomeEvent.com for more details. And we look forward to seeing you at the upcoming event. No doubt. And and I think I'm glad that you kind of put that out there with, you know, your own kind of things that, that maybe you don't want to do. Because I, I, I have the same thing and I'm actually going through it this week as an example. So last week I had an event and one of the things I'm looking to do is raise capital for our apartment buildings that we do, right? And I've got a stack of people that, you know, are leads for me that have filled out forms and I procrastinated doing it this week. <laughs> and it's funny because I started doing it yesterday and I started having some great conversations and the exact same thing that you just said. And I'm like, wow, why did it take me two days to start making these calls? There's no reason. It was and the forest. You you were in, in inertia. No doubt. And then you start getting on the phone and I go, wait, not only is this not hard, but like I should be doing more of this. So yeah. I think one thing, you know, for myself as the, the podcast host and you as, you know, a guest and having so much success is that we all deal with this stuff. Like it, this is not us being on a pedestal saying, hey, you know, we never have these struggles. And, you know, why would you even have this? We go through this all the not time. Not at all, man. Listen, the, you know, there are the people out there who want to pretend like this isn't real and that they're superhuman and and want to preach from on high. I'm like down in the crowd saying, nope, this shit sucks. I don't want to do it either, but I'm <laughs> going to do it anyway. Exactly. So with, with the the part about like making a decision whether or not you want to prospect, you had success doing it yourself. Then you started saying, okay, of course, Dale can only make so many calls a week, right? And at some point, you have to say, well, either I'm just going to be happy with whatever Dale can produce, or I'm going to find a way to leverage myself and, and figure out how to get more phone calls made. I'm going to add one to that, one, one thought that went on that drove the leverage, which was, this sucks. I'm getting burned out. I, re I know how to do this to a very high level, but I don't feel like doing it anymore. I'm going to teach somebody else to do it. I love it. And and that's a good thing, right? There's nothing wrong with with that's how we all start. We all starting our business doing everything, and then we figure out what we like, what we don't like, and as we're growing, 
if we do it right, we can say, okay, the thing I really hate doing, whatever that thing is, maybe you like being on the phone, but you hate processing a transaction, whatever that thing is, you can build your business. And this is the great thing about owning your own business. It's like, you're always a component, you know, within your business, but you can be doing the thing that you think is the most fun that gets you the best results. I like the fact that you said, hey, you know, I don't like doing this, but I do know how to do it. So from there, did you just say, hey, I'm going to go out and hire somebody? Did you hire like a, you know, a contractor to to start making calls? Like, what did that look like? So at the time, there was this crazy concept in real estate called inside sales. A couple of teams around the country had started doing it. And in fact, Tim Heil was like one of the first people that I followed in uh, KW in, in Texas. He started out using ISAs and then was like telling other people what he was doing and teaching about it. So I was like, that's a fantastic idea. I'll just hire somebody and pay them to do it. And so I proceeded to screw that up and uh, not make the right hires and not pay enough and, you know, not know how to how to actually find somebody who could do it and then train them how to do it. You know, I would say over the course of probably three to four years that it took of really developing it and going and studying with other teams that were doing it, coming back and testing and learning and figuring out how to identify and then hire and train and manage and lead a really productive ISA because it's probably one of the hardest jobs to do. Uh, it's one of the hardest jobs to fill with somebody who can do it productively and profitably without either burning out or burning your house, you know, your building down. Now, what would you say to the person? Because I see this, you know, sometimes too, you realize, hey, I don't want to be the one making the phone calls. This sucks. I do know how to train and and I know how to do it. What would you say to the person that wants to just skip right to hiring somebody to do it? One, either come to my company and get taught how to do it and cut the curve for you or go out there and get punched in the face and waste money um, and figure it out. Either way, it's going to be it's a it's a big learning curve. It's one thing to do it yourself. That's one learning curve. Yep. Then learn how to find somebody who can do it for you at a really high level and make them profitable is a much steeper curve. So talk to us about like how your company helps with that. So we have consultants. So we have nine trainers, consultants that help teams implement. Well, first, what we do is we just do a quick assessment with a team to see or an individual to see if they're actually in a good position to uh, implement inside sales or not. We're frankly honest with people about that stuff because the success rate is pretty low. It's so difficult that we generally don't like to take money from people to do something if we don't think it's going to work for them. So we'll do an assessment first. And a lot of times we can give them advice on how to go uh, about achieving what they want to achieve without the high cost and difficulty of inside sales. Some people, some teams are well positioned to do it and others aren't. Others may need to go and get some other pieces in place internally. Either that's budget or oversight or structure or staff or whatever it is, but sometimes they need to get themselves into a better position. If they if they are ready to do it, then we place them with one of our trainers and our trainers basically consult with them on how to implement our methodology for finding and screening and hiring and managing and leading an inside salesperson. I love it. What does that support look like? Like say that they start working with you and they're looking for somebody and they they hire somebody. Do you guys help potentially train that person or are you training the the team leader? So we are first working with the team leader or their uh, their leadership team 
to implement our recruiting and screening practices. And we hold their hand along that because there's a lot of loss through that process. You have to kiss a lot of frogs, right, to find your prince or princess. And so we teach them how to do that. They run it internally. Our trainers are there to help review candidates or, you know, listen to recordings uh, to give their feedback until the client feels really comfortable about being able to execute, know what they're looking for, be able to identify it and have their own recruiting process running. And then once they make a hire, or in a lot of cases, we recommend they hire more than one at a time. And once they do that, the client can pay us additionally to do the training or the onboarding, the initial training and onboarding of that ISA. Working with you, can somebody who has not been a prospector themselves build out an ISA team? Yes, they can. There's a couple of things. Having us as the experienced lead conversion prospectors uh, really helps from the training aspect because somebody who hasn't done it themselves will find it difficult to teach somebody to do it. Yep. So having us do the training part is absolutely key. And yes, somebody who isn't a prospector can lead prospectors so long as they have the leadership skill or they're willing to learn the leadership skill of accountability and measurement and consistency. So what doesn't work, what doesn't work is somebody who is, let's say, for instance, they're mostly sphere, they're mostly relational type business, and they don't have a lot of experience of managing other salespeople, and they really don't want to pay much attention to it. That never works. Yeah. And to add to that, like just as a kind of a global thing, a lot of mistakes I've made in business and I've seen other people make is they say, okay, hey, I don't want to prospect or I don't want to do my transaction work or I don't want to do this or that. And then they think that just by hiring, you know, the perfect person, you know, they have in their head, hey, let me hire this perfect person, whoever it is. Maybe they have experience doing it. And then they hire them and they kind of close their eyes and it it just it doesn't it doesn't work ever. We've all done that. I call it throwing money at the problem. It just doesn't work. Yeah, I mean it it would be great if it if it did work and you know, if if it did work probably wouldn't need your your company probably wouldn't even exist, I I suppose. Probably but, not. Yeah, but um I I really strongly advocate, I mean, getting back to kind of like why are we even having this conversation? You know, for for people that are out there that are trying to get, you know, discounted off-market deals, prospecting is one of the best ways to do it that doesn't cost you a lot of money. So if you're in a position where you don't have a bunch of money to spend, I would advocate like learning it yourself, forcing yourself to do it, getting those 20 contacts a day and figuring out like if that is how you want to do it. And then if you you have some success working with Dale um, and and people like that, that can help, you know, grow out so that that can be kind of your thing. Because we always talk about whether you're in retail, real estate or investing, you want that, whatever that lead generation mechanism is, you want to get really, really good at it and kind of scale it out um, as much as you can, because you typically don't need a bunch of different, you know, type of lead generation mechanisms, which is another mistake that I see a lot of people make. Is definitely one of the best ways to go out there and to get deals. And Dale's success speaks for itself. I mean, you know, over 600 transactions in the last 12 months with his team. And I think I read, but uh, like the, the what is the average agent doing for transactions? It was 
it was in, in like a first year with you, it was like super high. So on our ISA team, we're able to bring on somebody with no real estate experience, uh, combine them with our leads and training. And generally they can produce 40 to 60 transactions in their first 12 months. That's what I saw. And, and that's just like earth shattering numbers, especially for, for most agents who are selling, you know, 10 ish, you know, homes per year. But that just speaks to the model of just having so many conversations and be able to being able to get in the door. And we all know, like Dale mentioned, like this stuff isn't necessarily super fun. Having said that, it's not like there are these 5000 things you can do to get leads. This is definitely one of them. And it's one that's tried and true that has has worked and will always work. So with that being said, what would you say in addition to like agents that have had some level of success and they haven't looked into investing yet. Like what, what would you say like investing has done for you and what do you, what do you want to do investing wise in the future? Yeah. So right now I'm just buy and hold. That's my strategy. And we've been doing that for a while. And, you know, I, so I'm pretty selective. I, I don't make my living on uh, investing in real estate. It really is future. It's, it's wealth building. For my family and myself and uh you know it's it will be a supplement to our retirement so that's what we're doing and you know if you haven't done it you're if you you in your constant day-to-day if you're selling real estate you are you know your primary role your primary job is finding people who want to buy and sell real estate so at the very least just constantly be looking through your mls or constantly be aware of a possible deal that you can grab right? And you don't have to swing for the fences. It doesn't have to be amazing. You know, my basic my basic parameters for myself are that I need to net $500 a door uh, per month after all. We, we've got the same exact number. Okay, great. Yeah. And you have a lot more units than I do. Um, but but it, that doesn't matter, right? Because that's that is like what the metric is. It just is what it is. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off, but no, just crazy good. that we have the same number. I'm glad to hear that that somebody with so much so much real estate has the same number I have. I'm I'm on the right track somewhere and you know I just keep an eye open. I I ended up buying, you know, we we helped my mother-in-law buy a unit in in a condo building, a very, you know, a modest unit in the building. And then I started looking at the building and over time we've picked up three more units in that building that were just great deals. You know, I got one that was um it was a foreclosure, it was a a HUD home or something like that, right? ended up getting a great deal on that. Somebody that we were friends with, unfortunately passed away. And I hate to say this, but I sent my mother-in-law down the hallway to talk to whoever the family member was that showed up to, to, to deal with the, the estate. And we ended up being able to purchase that one at a good deal too, because they didn't want to deal with it. Um, and so just keeping your eyes open, really, I mean, it, it that's how it works. And that, that last example is just an example. We, we talk about agents being really active investors or agents being kind of a little bit more passive. And I would, I would put you in the box of like being a super, super successful agent. It's kind of passively investing. Yeah. And the interesting thing about it is that I bet by the time you do retire, I bet that portfolio is going to be worth a ton of money. You're going to have a ton of equity and a ton of passive income. But with that being said, like that's not your primary focus. It's just interesting. But the other interesting part about you know agents being able to do this somewhat passively is we talk about agents just having their eyes open for deals. And the fact that a lot of times agents, because they don't have their eyes and ears open, there is a deal right in front of them they pass up and that 
that example where did you say it was your mother-in-law? Yeah, my mother-in-law, who we helped buy in the building. And yep. then we heard that so-and-so had passed away. And, and I was like, hmm, Anna Marie, if you yeah. happen to see anybody at that unit, she's like, oh, yeah, somebody's down there cleaning it out. I'm like, hey, how about you just go down, ask, you know, give your condolences, ask them what the plans are, and let them know that your, your son-in-law and daughter purchased in that building. Yeah, and your phrase was like, I hate to say that yeah. you did that, but I did see- a, I did a I bit just, of ambulance chasing. I, you know, I hate to admit that. Uh, but Well, I, I'm going to come at that with a different perspective because I've done so many deals like that. And I look at it differently, truthfully, because I, I've had so many people that have been in that position where there's a death, right? Death in the family, huge thing, of course, for anybody. That's something that they're going through that's- that's all they're thinking about, right? And a lot of times the last thing they're thinking about is selling their property. So you're coming in, you're not saying, hey, you know, I know somebody passed away and I want to offer you, you know, 25% of what it's worth. Hey, you know, do it right now. If you're taking the approach, hey, like, you know, I've got an offer. I'd, I'd love to, you know, be able to buy your house. This is how it may actually help you during this period of your life. I think that's a good thing, right? Because a lot of times an agent will go in there in that scenario and they'll say, hey, and I know you just had a death in the family, but you've got to you know, fix the countertops. You've got to paint the thing. You've got to get it staged. We've got to have an open house. To me, that a lot of times might be the wrong solution for the person. That That's overwhelming. I'll, I'll tell you the story that of, of what happened. It was a, a middle-aged man who passed away. His parents are elderly, live in Florida. It was his brother who is within the local area who had to come down and deal with it. He doesn't have time for it. He didn't want to do anything yep. with it. It wasn't like, you know, it was a burden for, for him to take care of that. He's not aware of the market. He didn't have a, an agent that he wanted to work with in particular, right? He had no plans. And so this work, this was a win-win. We said, hey, here's what we can pay you for the unit. You know, it was a fair price, needed some work. We didn't take advantage of him. And, uh, you know, he was probably too savvy to be taken advantage of anyhow, but yeah. it worked out to be a win-win for both of us. Well, I think in this day and age, everybody has Zillow. Everybody knows what Zillow is. Not that Zillow is a hundred percent accurate, but I think, you know, in 2023, which at the time of this recording, people kind of know what their house is worth. It's not really a big mystery. So when you're coming in there and there is, you know, a pain points that the person may not want to deal with the property and you provide a potential solution, it, it's not you saying, hey, you have to take the solution. Here's another way to do it. It may work for you. If it doesn't, of course, you can sell your house, you know, a more traditional way. Uh, but again, just going back to like having your eyes open for those type of things, I think is so important. Yeah, I think um, we even told him you could probably get a little bit more for this if you put it on the market and, you know, you go through the whole process, but here's what we can give you for it. And, and it's pretty, pretty simple, right? You yeah. don't have to do anything. And he said, great, let's do it that way. It, exactly. And that's not going to work out that way every time, but in a lot of cases it will. And the fact that you just have the option because you're an investor is great. I want to thank you for coming on today. And I do want to make sure that, because I know you mentioned you know, your, your scripting and dialogue training. I want to make sure that people can reach out to you if they want to learn more. What is the best way for them to learn more about you and more about like how your company helps people? Sure. Our website is smartsalescoaching.com. 
And so the two things that we do is we do scripting and dialogue training for agents and ISAs. And we've worked with investing companies, land purchase companies, primarily residential real estate sales teams and brokerages. But we know real estate and we know sales. So one of the main channels for us is teaching agents and ISAs to set more appointments and get more closings. And then on the consultation side, we consult with team owners, broker owners, business owners who want to either implement inside sales or improve their sales, their existing sales teams. All right. Well, um, again, thank you for for coming on today. And guys, you know, as always, keep tuning in to the Agent Investor Podcast. You can listen to, you know, every episode at www.agentinvestorpodcast.com. And as we say, sales will make you a living. Investing will make you wealthy. And podcasting is absolutely the easiest way for you guys to get educated. You can do it in the car. You can do it at the gym. You can do it going for a walk and you can do it cleaning your house. And we suggest, you know, as much as possible, listening to at least one hour of a podcast per day in the downtime that you have. So I hope that you guys continue to to tune in to the Agent Investor Podcast. And, you know, I know Dale's been on a bunch of other podcasts too. If you want to check him out, uh, he's got a, a lot going on as well. So we'll see you guys again next week. Thanks again for listening to the Agent Investor Podcast. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show and leave a review, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get free weekly education, strategies, and to connect with other agent investors across the country, join our free Facebook group at agentinvestor.com. Again, that's agentinvestor.com.